Welcome to Detour to Neverland, your guide to living your best Disney life through your hobby or business. Here's your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 67. Before we head into our really fun interview, first we're going to do our past guest spotlight. So if you're like us, the Galaxy's Edge news that dropped last week rattled us. We are shook. Mostly Brendan. You are too. I'm (laughs) speaking for you. So I'm reading all the content that we can possibly find. One of the best ones actually comes from our past guest, and it's Andrew Long from episode number 17. You can find his blog at wanderingindisney.com. And there he wrote a really good comprehensive list of all of the different information that we know so far about Galaxy's Edge, both in Disneyland and coming to Walt Disney World. So head over to wanderingindisney.com and you can read that blog. Yeah, and definitely Brendan has been soaking up all of the information he can, so he knows his Star Wars blogs in and out, I'm sure. Um, But today, we are so excited Um, to be sharing this interview with you. I can honestly say that this is probably one of the only interviews that we've done where we've gotten to meet the person before actually interviewing them, which is super just fun for us. Um, So today we are going to be interviewing the very genuine, the very authentic John Sakari, who you probably know better as Big Fat Panda on YouTube. So without any further ado, John, go ahead and introduce yourself for our listeners. Awesome. By the way, you pronounced my name correctly, which is like a first. So kudos to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, John Sakari, but most people call me Panda, which is fine. And I started BigFatPanda.com, which is, uh, it's weird because it does have a negative connotation. People here being fat, like, oh my God, I am a big guy. And I took it from Kung Fu Panda, which isn't even a Disney movie travesty maybe one day they'll buy them at the end of kung fu panda the, the villain says to him says to poe you're just a big fat panda he goes no i'm not a big fat panda. i'm the big fat panda and he pummels him and i loved that so i kind of adopted that with the big fat panda.com but yes that is my it leads to my youtube channel which is my thing i don't really have a blog per se i always like to tell stories without uh words even though i do write sometimes i just like to tell it through video basically yeah, and I love that. And the funny thing is, too, when we met you, so we got the privilege of meeting you at the DVC event, you even mentioned your email has that same kind of Kung Fu Panda reference, and I thought that was so fun. <laughs> the one that I think I gave you was, was it Panda Thunder? Yes. <laughs> yeah, because in the first movie, he goes, can you feel the thunder? The thunder of the feet or the crazy feet, something like that. I was like, all right, Panda Thunder at gmail.com. <laughs> I loved it. If you if you hear me clearing my throat, it's because I'm sick today. I apologize, but I'm still here. It's because he got to go to a really fun, uh, it what was, was it, Flower and Garden? It was a Flower and Garden preview. It was a fun event, but wow, I really, people are telling me I got the theme park crud the next day. I never had it so quickly come on. I was wonderful, you know, energetic, and then wham, it was like a flu got me. Well, if you're going to get sick, I guess the theme park crud is one of the best things that you could get. <laughs> this is true. It beats like strep or the flu. It could be. (laughs) So take us through your Disney story and that evolution. Okay, we were a very simple family growing up. And when I say that, I mean, like, I didn't know people went on these big vacations. We were in the suburbs of Long Island. So it was like a house, a tree, a house, you know, modest 
homes. I remember my father bought the house for $30,000. But it was a nice house, and I felt like we never needed anything. Uh, we never went on vacation, though. It wasn't a thing. We would, you know, run through the sprinkler, and that was our summer. We would occasionally go to, like, a zoo or a game farm. For some reason, it, you know, we always would watch Disney on TV, The Wonderful World of Disney. And I remember just thinking Disney was this completely magical, unobtainable place that it was fantasy. There, there was no place. We weren't going to ever go there. We never talked about it. It wasn't like a place thinking of, of going. It just wasn't a possibility in my six-year-old brain. And Dad, one day, I think said we have tickets on it. It was either Pan Am or Eastern Airlines. And I, it was, I've never been on a plane before, and I was excited. I remember being so excited that I had to sleep on the couch that night instead of in the bedroom because I just couldn't figure out, you know, what's going to happen. Uh, so it was already built up in my mind because it was, again, this six-year-old fantasy of being taken away from everything you know. And I remember landing and seeing palm trees and realizing, okay, we're not in New York anymore. And my other first memory is getting on the ferry boat to cross the Seven Seas Lagoon. And there is a documentary on YouTube called Dreamfinders. It's free. Anybody can watch it where I talk about this. And I cry every time, and I don't know why it gets me so much. But I'm on my dad's shoulders, and we're crossing the Seven Seas Lagoon, and I see the castle across the way with that whole, you know, it just looks like a city with the monorail going back and forth. And I remember thinking... You know, this is amazing. I didn't even know this was in this world that I lived in. This is, uh, this is a place I have to be. I think I even told my father at that point, I'm going to move here. At six years old, I told him, I'm going to move here. And he says, ah, you'll see. You'll, you'll grow out of it. And I never did. But I remember that that whole trip, I absorbed so much and thought the imagination, the creativity, the spectacle of it all was just amazing. You know, I'm trying not to give too much detail because I'll bore the heck out of you. But I just remember the Haunted Mansion was a big thing where I cried. I didn't want to go on. I finally got talked into going on, and then I loved it. And at the time, tickets were, you had to buy them separate. Like, you didn't pay. I think you might have paid to get in the park, but a small amount. And then you paid to get the e-tickets to go on the rides. And I wanted to go on the Haunted Mansion over and over and over so many times that I can recall my father saying, I'm sorry I talked him into it because I'm going for broke. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I forget how much it was, but I'm sure I'm sure it cost him what a hotel night cost us for me to keep going on the haunted mansion constantly. <laughs> no, I love that, and I think you said you didn't want to bore us, but you are a very good storyteller. I love the oh, whole thing. You. you paint such a great picture. And I've I... heard it so many times that it bores me. That. <laughs> <laughs> No, I wish I had such like vivid memories like that. I'm honestly sitting here thinking right now, like, what is my first really memorable moment in Disney World? And I think maybe I just have so many they run together, but I wish I had one like that because I love that. Well, I'm going to out you, Catherine, because for the longest time, you told me that you thought the Seven Seas Lagoon was a moat and you thought Magic Kingdom (laughs) was on an island. Oh, yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. Seems plausible. <laughs> like, I was probably in high school when I found out it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, because we were taking a bus to Magic Kingdom, and you're like, oh, you can't take a bus there. They they drop you off at the TTC. I was like, <laughs> Listen, I suggest anyone going for the first time does not take that darn bus oh, that yeah. takes the ferry boat because it really adds to the whole, you know, grandeur of being transported to this other world. Oh, it does. I agree. Something that that strikes me as funny is, you know how they have a celebration that lasts the whole year? Mm -hmm. When we went, I think it was Mickey's 50th or 52nd. I just remember 
thinking, my father, who's this terrible planner, got us there on the day of Mickey's birthday? (laughs) Because as a kid, you know, and at that age, I didn't know that they did this every day. So I really thought, Dad, you really, wow. This is the man that goes to a movie and walks in like in the middle and then watches the end when it starts again. Like wouldn't even call the movie theater to find out what time the movie started. (laughs) But he knew that it was Mickey's birthday today. And I realize most kids probably think that when they walk into one of these celebrations, like, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, today is Mickey's 90th birthday. Wow. But I do remember thinking, Mickey is as old as grandma. That, how am I liking this guy so much? <laughs> how am I identifying with this mouse? I and I remember that. thinking it was totally weird that he didn't talk. Well, I now, could definitely get that. And then so I was how suspicious. was that dreams come true whenever you do get to meet a talking Mickey sometime okay. down the road? I loved it. I was not freaked out at all. I loved it. I had a conversation with Mickey Mouse. I was ready to cry. And I'm sad it went away. I hear that it will come back possibly one day. I hear the reason it went away. I get a lot of different reasons. But I think the main one was that when it messes up, it messes up bad. Mm. Mm. And, uh, you know, they wanted to make sure that it was ready for prime time so it doesn't ruin anybody's dreams. But, yeah, I... uh, I, my father, he would come up with a great story. He would tell me he had laryngitis, and I bought it. <laughs> so why in the cartoons? He talks up, but now he can't talk. He's got, got laryngitis today. It's not his birthday. He's, he's been talking a lot for his birthday. My father's pretty quick like that. I was like, hmm. But I kind of knew. Like I remember being suspicious, thinking, all right, old man, you got me there, but I don't believe it. <laughs> I was going to say, parents have got to think quick like that because you just yeah. never know what your kids are going to say. So they've got to come up with all the, all the cover-ups. This is true. <laughs> so I'm sure you've been asked this before about kind of what you think your kid version of yourself would view kind of how Big Fat Panda came to be, where now you get to make these videos of going to theme parks and specifically Disney for the purpose of this podcast. What do you think the kid version of you would think about all that? Wow. That is a really, really, really good question. And that, Almost brings me to tears, Brendan. That's an amazing question because the little me would look and be like, no way. Are you kidding? There are times where now I walk into the Magic Kingdom and a couple of the cast members or people there know me and say hi. And that amazes me and, and just is like, if I do think sometimes if the kid me knew that I would be technically not really working in that place, but working in that place uh, to do what I love would be pretty incredible because i didn't see it again like when i went when i was like six i didn't see it again until i was like 15 and i see a lot of children today you know my nieces and nephews that live out here uh they go so often that it's not as magical as somebody that had it when they were six and didn't see it again until they were 15 like me i feel like it it still amazes me every time i walk in there but the little me would be just giving a big thumbs up so what drew you back when you were 15? Did you just always know that you wanted to go back? Oh, Catherine, I was killing people. I mean, I, I didn't let it go. When I was from 6 to 15, I didn't stop talking about it. I mean, every day of my life, I was reading the Steve Birnbaum book, I, you know, the official guide to Disney. I was seeking out information. There was no internet at the time. I was watching TV. Maybe the internet came out. I don't even remember. I might have been 14 or so. Maybe 13. I don't even I remember it was it was you know I was constantly feeding the Disney uh, wanting to go back and I think when I was 15 I had jobs when I was like 13 and 14 so I was saving up money just for the sole purpose 
of going back to Disney. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't let every day something happen to Disney. So I'm sure many of the listeners are familiar with you, but for someone who isn't, could you share like what kind of videos you like to create on your channel? Yeah, I started with, uh, as a kid growing up in New York, I did some acting. So I was always a ham in front of the camera. I actually did a Mead Trapper Keeper notebook commercial that was fairly popular back in the 80s. If you search it, you can see it on YouTube also. But I was, so I was always in front of the camera, but the videos I wanted to make really didn't even have me in it. They were ride videos. I wanted to watch them when I wasn't there in Disney. I wanted to, you know, feel like I was on the ride. So I would film, you know, the boarding and the unboarding of the ride vehicles and the inside of the ride. I would sometimes film it from the right side, from the left side, and from the middle, and then edit it together so it felt like one big, you know, video together. And I would call it, instead of Panavision, which was a Hollywood term, Pandavision. It was like a gimmicky thing. But uh, you know, it, it, those are the kind of videos that I like, and I wanted to make them a better quality where somebody wasn't just shaking constantly. And I made bad videos. I used to make really bad videos. I used to, as a kid, I would just, you know, felt like I was on a bungee cord. And I remember people saying, stop, stop shaking the camera. So I realized, okay, let's not, you know, focus on something. Let the viewer watch something for a little while. So they're mostly, yeah, mostly attraction videos. But then I started to do the food reviews. And then I said, all right, let me put my face out there and do my own personality type things, because that's the one thing I felt like you can't compete with. You know, you're different than anybody else. So anybody can do an attraction video. Hopefully I do it a little better, but yourself, your own personality is something that's completely unique. Mm -hmm. Well, something that is so unique to your channel that probably a lot of people are familiar with is that you use a green screen a lot of times to be able to, like you said, put your personality out there, but then also show some of the, you know, the footage from the parks. How did that kind of process come to be? And because that is something that's pretty unique to you. Yeah, when I did the monthly show, because I did a monthly show to go along with the videos, I felt like it's going to be really boring to see me going, hey, I like this. This wasn't good. This I liked. So I figured let's reference what I'm talking about with the green screen behind me, kind of like a newscast, you know. Um, so, yeah, I got the green screen. I realized what chroma keyer was, and I realized how nice it was to show a video or photo while I was talking, and I saw that the audience retention stays up. The people would watch an interview longer if you were referencing what in the world you were talking about rather than just talking about it. So, yeah, I kind of – that is kind of weird. I, I thought more people would do that, actually. I well, thought it would be more common. It I, is harder. I was going to say, how do you even, like, go about getting a green screen? Like, I wouldn't even know where to start. <laughs> Amazon. It's just a like a $40 muslin. It's called muslin, M-U-S-L-I-N as in Nancy, I think. And it's just a piece of fabric, green screen. You put it up with push pins. And you film. It's a little hard in the editor to what's called chroma key. You have to light it uh, completely even because if it's uneven, when you go to say, hey, remove this color and replace it with video, if the color is off, it won't replace it correctly. So you have to light it correctly. And they sell the lights too on Amazon. They sell a whole kit, which is probably how I started. And then I upgraded it from there. But that sounds like a lot of trial and error. It is. I guess when I started it, I just went with it and didn't think about it. Like I said to you before, I'm getting old now where I'm done learning new things. I want to keep – I have no more room in the data bank. I feel that. I feel that for sure. Right. 
So you've been at this for quite some time now. So, you know, throughout the time of, you know, starting this YouTube channel and then watching it grow and deciding to put out different types of videos and content, you know, what are some of those struggles or, you know, just some times where you felt maybe discouraged and you thought things weren't going to work? How did you push through those? Oh, that always happens. That still happens. You can, you know, I think we're coming up upon 80,000, excuse me, subscribers, excuse me, we're coming up upon 80,000 subscribers now. And sometimes that doesn't even mean, you know, how many views you get or anything. You always want 100,000 because then YouTube sends you a plaque with a thing on it, you know, a little play button. But then you'll see people that are like 500,000. And that's what you always compare yourself to and say, how come I can't get there? So you always go through comparing yourself and feeling like a failure. Why didn't that get a million views? And then something you don't expect to get a million views does. For instance, I went to Universal and I filmed Chucky. I don't do a lot of Universal stuff, but Chucky, Child's Play, he got a million views in like a month. And I'm sitting here going, what's going on? That doesn't happen with Mickey Mouse. It happens with Chucky. So there's kind of some weird things that go on, but you always, um, as long as I get messages, a lot of people comment and they'll say, thank you so much. Uh, I couldn't be there. Or you'll get a message that says, you know, my kid is sick and we're not able to get there this year. So having the videos really helps. And that definitely makes you push on. It motivates you to realize there are people watching and they are enjoying it. And, you know, there's somebody at home that may have cancer that's not getting to a Disney park. There's somebody that just may have a child with autism that can't, uh, the, the kid, okay, this is a big thing for me. I would get messages from parents where they would say that their child with autism didn't want to go on a ride, let's say Peter Pan's flight, or actually Splash Mountain was the was the real example, because they were scared of it. They didn't know what to expect. But because the video that I made covered it so completely, they would watch it over and over and over and over. They knew what to expect. They got to Disney, and their kid got on Splash Mountain like it was nothing and enjoyed the heck out of it. There is nothing more satisfying in the world than hearing that, that maybe that person wouldn't have gone on Splash Mountain had it not been for the video. So I didn't start off making, you know, showing the boarding of the ride and the unboarding. I did it for the fans. But then when I heard it's also working for children on the spectrum and adults on the spectrum, I said, okay, now I have to be conscious of this because they look for every detail from the beginning to the end of something uh, just to know what to expect and have no surprises. And that makes them more comfortable with it. So things like that help you push through. It's those times where people really use the videos and you realize you're changing lives without realizing it. Yeah, absolutely. And that is so sweet because I would have never really thought about it from that type of perspective, yep. like you were saying, because usually when I think of like the ride videos or even um, different things like that, Brendan loves them and watches them all the time. And I just make fun of him because I think he's like nosy and I'm like, <laughs> no, you have to go there and experience it. But that is so sweet to think about it from that perspective. Or, you know, just all those things that you mentioned. I just love that so much. Yeah. And when I heard it from like two or three completely separate people, I'm like, wow, this is a thing. You know, there's a lot of people that are probably hopefully doing it and not contacting me about it. So when I hear it, I'm like, wow, that is so awesome. It is interesting. I love that whole thought of that, especially as content creators, you're putting this stuff out there and you kind of put it in a box and you have your target audience and you kind of picture how somebody else is going to be receiving what you're putting out there. And even in our short time doing this, 
we have been so shocked about how people share with us different things. Of course, like we just got a message last night of someone said that they listen to the podcast when they're riding on the New York City subway, which we always kind of wanted it to be part of people's commute. But right, then right. we also got messages yeah. about people who they play it when they pick their kids up from school when they're riding home. Like, Isn't that great? I never would have thought that. And we were like, I know wow, you don't know how it's used. Yeah, you don't know how it's used. <laughs> yeah, crazy. So kind of going along the same lines about whenever you're pushing out content and, you know, when this is what you're doing and, and you're fully committed to it, how do you balance that of putting content out there for your fans and your followers while keeping your identity and kind of keeping the quality of your work high? I don't know if it's a balance. I would say I'm pretty bad at keeping a balance because I'm inconsistent, not in the quality, but like I'll, is, is this important enough to make a video about? Maybe it's not. I've seen some channels and I'm not, I am digging on them a little bit, but I'm not really trying that they'll make a video, a premiere, big spectacular about a cardboard cutout that arrived at a movie theater. And I'm just not like, I'm like, really? It's not a video to me or a 3D movie. Uh, I can't film a 3D movie and show you a blurry thing and say, here, look at this. So, uh, you know, I try to figure out what is worth making a video about, what tells a story, hopefully, like an establishing shot of the area that we're in, then maybe the close-ups after. So I am conscious. And I think people know when they watch a video, uh, I think they're conscious of this, this person who's making the video cares about what I'm watching or just doesn't care at all. So I'm not sure I'm good with the balance. But I definitely try to keep the quality in there. I try to tell a story with each video. And I think about, like, there are months where there's not much going on uh, in Disney. And then there's months where there's just too much going on. And you have to decide, what do you put a video out? What do you not put a video out? So yesterday was the Flower and Garden preview. And there's just so much information. There's food. There's merchandise. There's drink. Uh, there's character interactions. There's uh, new things about Epcot coming out and what's how it's going to change in the future. And it's just so much you have to think of how to put the content together and get it out in a good way. And not, uh, I think we all tend to make it too long. I try to shorten it up, you know, to try to make it terse and concise. You can make your decisions, look at what you want and stuff like that. Yeah, that's great. I think that that's a hard lesson that a lot of people have to learn in the kind of Disney news realm of you're not always going to be the first person there to go to an exclusive event or you're not going to be able to cover thing as exclusively as someone else. So I think you're exactly right that picking and choosing and really jumping in. And, and once you decide on something, doing it right and, and making sure that you're doing it for the right reasons is, is a great way of doing that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of news outlets out there. So I've really made the decision right away. I am not going to be the news outlet, meaning don't expect to get all your news from me. Mm -hmm. But if something like Kevin, the bird from up comes to animal kingdom, I'm hoping I'll have the, one of the best videos on it for you and probably come out with it quickly, even though I may not cover the, the news as quickly, but that is something to me that's imaginative and creative and awesome that I will make sure I get. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think when you give yourself that pressure of, I'll bring you the news up to date every minute, there's so many outlets like that. I don't want to even compete with that. Absolutely. Yeah, and I feel like that would be stressful, too, to just kind of Very. stay on top of it with there's so much going on. Very. And let me tell you, I appreciate the Kevin video. I am <laughs> so hyped to go see Kevin. 
it's great. Not only does she blink, she. but she also <laughs> has the sounds where she's, you know, wah, wah, and she's, and when she goes over to, oh, I forget the names, Doug and the kid from up. What is Russell. his name? Russell. Russell. She's so excited. And the, to see the three of them together is awesome. Did you see Serena's video of the little girl who had the, the baby Kevin plush? She, oh, I think she I put think it on Instagram. So. Yeah, it, it was amazing that like this little girl had a Kevin plush. So Doug and Russell were holding it up. And she was jumping around and squawking and she was so excited. And like, that's why I watch videos like that, Catherine, <laughs> because they're so amazing. Well, Did yeah, you I mean, see? I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, go. I was just going to say, Kevin, I mean, that's reason enough to watch anything. Yeah. Did you see the lady in the wheelchair visit Stitch? No. No, I haven't seen Okay, that. it's on my Facebook. If you get a chance, just look at that. You're going to cry. I'm telling you right now, you'll cry. <laughs> it's, it just shows you the power of character. And there's this girl in a wheelchair. Uh, she's probably about, I'm going to say 16. Um, you could tell that she's used Stitch to get through hard parts of her life. I don't know how I know this, but I'm sure of it. She's dressed as Stitch. She has Stitch socks on. And when Stitch turns around to see her, the character... I don't care who you are, what walk of life you come from. When you watch that interaction, you're going to cry because you can see that I don't care what you want to call it. It's magic. You got to watch that if you get a chance. I know. I'm I'm like writing this down. I have got to go write this down. I mean, watch yeah, it. It's making its way around Facebook. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm sure you've you, you're going to come across it even if you don't look at mine. I just shared it. But it's amazing. I mean, it really is amazing. It must have a million views on it by now from the family who shared it. And the family was so thankful. I will even go so far as to say that Stitch himself was probably very moved by this and may have had to stop meeting people after it for a little while. I would imagine so. Yeah, probably. So speaking of magic, that's a great segue for our next question. So we've had our friend Terry Wheeland on to talk about what the magic means. And you were actually one of the featured stories in that book that's a great book by the way it really is absolutely we love it we we had our digital copy and then we got our physical copies and it's just taking it to a whole nother level Mm -hmm. it's like our uh, we are digging through it can you just talk a little bit about what that was like to be featured in a book to be able to share your disney story in in a little bit of a different setting of something that is for me a book is a little bit different because it's timeless it's always going to be there I remember talking with Terry, just like we are here on Skype. Uh, Terry had a way of, it was like, it was really in depth. Like, I think I spoke to him for a couple of hours. And I remember the questions he asked feeling like, like when it was done, the interview, like I woke up out of a spot. And that's a testament to Terry, uh, the way he gave me the questions. So I, I, it was great to be a part of it, especially when I saw afterwards what Terry had written. It was like, oh, is that what you got from me? Like, I understand I said those things, but to see it written in uh, in ink was, oh, okay, I, I get where where you're going now. And, you know, magic is such an – people don't think of it as a tangible thing, but it kind of is. You know, it's like this emotion that we all have, and Disney taps into it somehow. Mm-hmm. But it was great. That book is is really awesome. I, have to, I haven't read it all, all the other people yet, too. I have to. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of great interviews in there, and it's just – like you said, it's a testament that the magic is something that's tangible. And it's crazy how kind of all these pe- different people are having similar thoughts. And like when we met Terry, we're like, wait a minute, you think these things? We think these things. And it's just <laughs> like, it, it's so refreshing to know that there's other people out there that view Disney magic in that same 
way. Yeah, and there is like a common right. There's like a common connector when people are describing this strange, you know, invisible force. There is this connector to it. Do you like Star Wars? How about Marvel? How about Disney? If you answered yes to any of these, we'd love to have you listen to our new podcast, Kingdom Outcast. We're just three guys chatting about news, topics, and events in the Disney universe. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. So next thing we'll jump into is our Fast Pass round. We thank you so much for sharing a little bit about Big Fat Panda and the YouTube channel. I know that'll be so useful for our listeners and people enjoy getting to know you a little bit better. So we'll just throw out these Disney topics in the Fast Pass round if you just kind of share the first thing that comes to your mind. All right. Let's see. Let's try this. <laughs> so the first I don't one, remember any of these questions, so let's go. <laughs> that's, the, that's the best time to do it. Okay. So name the Disney <laughs> parks that you have visited. Oh, Okay. All the ones in Florida, Epcot, Animal Kingdom, Magic Kingdom, uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios, and the two in California, they're Disneyland and California Adventure. That is it. So out of those parks, which one is your favorite and why? Oh, this is so difficult, but I'm still picking Magic Kingdom in Florida. It's the first park I've ever visited. It's the most familiar that I feel at home. Uh, I love my castle call it mine when i'm not there i don't know if you're, you're aware of this a cover goes over it and if you want i can call them to re- to release the cover when you visit <laughs> but when i come home they have to cover it up so nobody else can look at it it's just for me and uh and my haunted mansion is there yes all great reasons right i will tell you the fantasy land in disneyland was pretty awesome it was yeah we agree for sure Although the Matterhorn was shut down when we were there. So that that took away from it just a little bit. Just a little. Yeah. So next would be a Disney bucket list trip for you. Uh, Okay. Who has Mystic Manor? I think that's Shanghai. No, that's not Shanghai. That's Tokyo. No. Wait, I forget where Mystic – Hong Kong is Mystic Manor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Phantom Manor's in Paris, right? Yes. Okay. I want to go to Hong Kong and just go on Mystic Manor. <laughs> that would be great. I mean, that would be. But I don't want to deal with the, the flight. I just don't want to deal with all that. I need a transporter, a just to appear there and then come home. Maybe someday. It might be here sooner than you think. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've read something that there's they're actually working on it. <laughs> oh my gosh! So then the next one is: What is your favorite Disney resort? Polynesian, hands down. It is my. Deluxe resort, but yet it doesn't feel stuffy. It doesn't feel uh, above me. It feels like nice luxury where if I drop a spoon or a fork, nobody's going to go. <gasps> <laughs> and the smell, right? Yeah. And the torches at night. Yeah. It's just, I love the pot. I love the whole tropical theme like that. Absolutely. And Trader Sands. And Ohana. Just the list goes on. Oh, yeah. And the Dull Whip. It doesn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> So next one would be, if you could only fast pass one ride for the rest of your life, which one would it be? You see, now, you're expecting me to say something like Flight of Passage, but the Haunted Mansion is my favorite ride. So I have to pick the Haunted Mansion because – or, or, or do, I, do I have the Haunted Mansion and I just need a fast pass for the other ride? Or are you telling me I can only go on one ride for the rest of my life? You can go on any of them. Just if you get a fast pass, it's always going to be the same ride. <sighs> You know, I think the Haunted Mansion is dealable, the line, so I'm going to go with Peter Pan's Flight. 
because you can never get on it. It's like out of the oldest rides, it's still like a 70 minute wait all the time. I know. I can't even remember the last time we rode it, to be honest. No, well, we were planning on it when we went to the Moonlight Magic, and even then it was still like 40 minutes. Right? Like, now, what? imagine if they update it and just give it a little love. It's going to be even more crowded. Mm-hmm. For sure. I don't know if you ever experienced this, John. My mom tells me about that when she went to Walt Disney World as a kid, that like they gave out sickness bags at... Peter Pan's flight because it was such a different feeling than anybody had ever experienced before of really, really? flying. She wow. might have been exaggerating. I don't know. You can probably look over in the Disney archives. You but. know, I could I could see that when you go over the town, people might think, you know, when you go over London, that people might think they're much higher than they are. And maybe they just felt, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's so many things from back in the, I call them the olden days, you know. <laughs> Not even when I wasn't there alive, but like back, I was born in the seventies. But I could see that people just did things weirdly different. Yep. So, kind of to stick with rides, which ride do you think is due for an exit or a refurbishment? Okay, these are these are separate rides or the same one? Uh, I mean, same one, yeah, kind of either one. or. Okay, I I honestly would love to see Pooh, either. Get completely revamped or go, because I am consistently disappointed in Pooh. Oh, but you know what? Forget that for a minute. Let's go to Epcot, Journey into Imagination, exit it or refurb it, do something with that. It's a it's it's a sadness thing. Mm-hmm. Got to bring back the Dreamfinder and with. I so wish that would that yeah. would happen. I'm not sure of that, but I do wish that that ride would get some love that it needs. With Pooh, I have similar thoughts. I wish that they would bring. Pooh's Honey Hunt over from Tokyo. Yes. Did you when you look at that ride, you go, We can't have nice things. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> that is amazing that ride. Yeah, it's great. There's no cardboard cutouts there. <laughs> no. No. So next one, probably our favorite question of the round. Your favorite snack or a go to snack? Ooh, this has changed. Because now my favorite snack is they have these quote-unquote egg rolls, but they're not egg rolls. They're like cheeseburger rolls. Mm -hmm. And they are in Adventureland, like across from the Tiki Room. They're amazing. And I've never had them before until last week. So now that's my favorite snack now. (laughs) Before that, it was definitely a Dole Whip. Are you a Dole Whip float or Dole Whip soft serve guy? Soft serve. The float is okay. But with a float, I think root beer float. I need a root beer float. Yep. So of, we have not had the egg rolls yet. We're probably going to have them on our next trip. But They're really good. Have you tried the other variations of not cheeseburger? I think they have like a buffalo, buffalo chicken. chicken. Yes, and it was just as awesome as oh. the cheeseburger. <laughs> See, that's I might be more interested in like a buffalo chicken. Both sound amazing. That sounds it's good. white inside though and not red. I thought it would be red inside the buffalo chicken, but it was good pieces of chicken. Like I'm – in Italian, we call it skivats. Like, if it's not good meat, ugh, I'm out of there. If it's crunching back on me, or if it's talking to me, the meat, no good. So the I have to say, the buffalo chicken was nice, like, strips of white buffalo chicken meat. I was like, okay, I can deal with this. I can get behind that. Yeah, that's good to know. I can get behind But it was white. I just didn't expect it to be white inside the egg roll. I thought it would be red. Just pre-telling me. They used to have macaroni and cheese. With like bacon on top over in like the Mrs. Potts area of Fantasyland. Uh, I'm sorry, it was not the Mrs. Potts area. Across from 
the se- the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. Yep. I forget what it was called. There's Mrs. Potts something there. But they don't have that anymore. But that was a nice little uh, lunch. It was a little mac and cheese bowl. Mm. I would have liked that. Yeah. So sticking with food, what is your favorite table service restaurant and your favorite quick service restaurant? Okay, table service. I'm going to go with the Patina Group, the Vianopoli there in Epcot. And even the next door, the Tutto Gusto and the Tutto Italia, I consider them all one because it's all kind of the same food. But that is really good Italian food. And I make some good Italian food, so (laughs) i got to go with that. They're pretty good. As far as quick service, next to Yak and Yeti, I actually forget the name of it. There is a quick service of Yak and Yeti. And they have like a sweet and sour chicken. So good. It, it's it's about what you, it's the same thing you're going to get inside for twenty dollars. You get outside for ten dollars. It's like white rice, really nice white meat chicken nuggets in like a sweet and sour sauce with vegetables. It's great for lunch. Ten dollars done. It's a great quick service. There's so many good quick service that a lot of people don't know, and they say, "Oh, it was so expensive. We went into the restaurant." But there's a quick service like right outside that gives the same thing. Even like in Epcot in China, I think it's called Lotus Blossom which is next to the Nine Dragons, it's the same food, half the price. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's a good tip. I was going to say, I agree with that Yak and Ready restaurant, because when I remember going in like middle school, that was the only place I would eat. I loved it so much. Uh, Did you get the sweet and sour chicken? Is that what you got? Probably. That sounds like what I would get. (laughs) (laughs) It's really really good. My only complaint with that area is the seating, because then you have to sit outside and there's always birds in there. Yes. It matters on when you go. I mean, if you're going in like when it's not summer and crazy, you can get it nicer where it's really relaxing. But yes, when it gets crowded with the birds, it's not that much fun. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's a that's a big compliment from you being an Italian saying that the Italian restaurants are good in Epcot. It, it, it's the – this patina group, and I, I can't stress it enough, these people know how to run a restaurant. They run <laughs> the Via Napoli, uh, Tutto Gusto, Tutto Italia – Pizza Ponte in Disney Springs, Maria and Enzo's, Enzo's Hideaway, and even the Edison in Disney Springs is Patina Group. Wow. And I tell you, if you meet the chefs and you look at the ingredients, they are not skimping at all. And you can taste it. It tastes like homemade food. I think that that's just how they know how to make it. Because there's another Italian restaurant close by that I will not name, but it sounds like Terribolina, and it's not good. (laughs) I think we catch your drift. <laughs> it really wasn't. I And I confirmed with other people. I'm like, did anybody eat a meatball at this place and pick things out of their mouth? And people are like, yeah. I was like, yeah, there shouldn't be little rubber pieces in the meatballs. That's a travesty. Oh, so, man. Anyhow, these patina people. Yeah, who, if, if any, if you can find out ever if a restaurant's run by patina, P-A-T-I-N-A, go for it. Good stuff. I've never been disappointed. Good tip. So next one would be your favorite character meet and greet moment. Ooh. Okay. This is one that happens only on the holidays. All seven dwarfs for Christmas time are at Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party. So it's just you and all seven dwarfs taking a photo. And the best thing that happened was I was with a bunch of friends. So it was like me and my friends taking a picture with the seven dwarfs. And then I said to the comment, okay, I want one with just me now. So all the dwarfs left. <laughs> and I didn't get it. I'm like, well, what? Oh, is it a break? Are they going for a break? What's going on? They're like, no, you said you wanted one with just you. 
I'm like, no, I mean, not my friends, just me and the dwarfs. And it was funny because all the dwarfs, they absolutely knew the joke that was going on. But I thought that even with a big line and people waiting, they went out of their way to do that joke and absolutely walk away. That was great. So, but uh, I love that. Uh, that's a good meet and greet. <laughs> that's and it's awesome. out every year. Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party. All seven dwarfs. Mm. I feel like you need like a really big, like panoramic. I don't know. I can't even imagine trying to get them all in one picture. The, the photo pass person does it really good for that. They, they're really, they're trained for that one. And they have lights because it's nighttime and they have lights on. So the dwarfs shine up with like little jewels in the, ah, oh, it's so great. That would be fun. So the next one is, what is your favorite Disney movie? Snow White. Definitely. I love Snow White. I love the Wicked Queen. She's one of my favorite villains. I love that whole movie, and I can't believe that's the first. That was the first movie that's still my favorite. Did you that night that that the Moonlight Magic at Magic Kingdom? Did y'all make it over there to meet the Evil Queen? Was she out? Okay, you know what? I think it was the witch. Yeah, and she didn't. We did go look at her, and she didn't impress us too much because, unlike a face character that's done well, it's a it's something they've been using since I think the 1970s, and it's a it's a different kind of a. I don't want to say costume or mask because we know it's the real witch, mm-hmm. but it's not as impressive as when the Wicked Queen is there. Ah, uh, yes. So the only place you can meet her now is at the dining at, at Wilderness oh, Lodge, yeah, and right? She, and she is awesome, yeah. Mm. I tried to go up to her and ask her about uh, – I said, it's really nice. I said, you guys are uh, – you know, you're friends, you and Snow White, because you're working together. And she says, I let her approach me occasionally. <laughs> And she says, I have an apple recipe for her that's to dive. Oh, my gosh. So you ate at that restaurant. Did you like it? Best character dining going. Yeah, they really thought about it. The the name plates are the Magic Mirror. The menu is a storybook. It's they, they thought there's a lot of little details that they didn't just open up a character dining and add some characters to it. They really thought about it. And they put some money into it. It's worth it. We'll have to do it. Yeah. Next one would be your favorite Disney song. Oh, you know, I want to go. I love, can you imagine that from the new Mary Poppins movie? But if I'm going for favorite song of all time, A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. That's a great choice. Mm-hmm. But some of the new, that new song, can you imagine that? It's really nice. <laughs> you can have multiple. We'll allow it. Okay, and spectral magic music, just just in the back. Did you ever go in the car and just play parade music? Oh, yeah. See? Okay. You're as crazy as I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're those kind of people. So the next one would be your favorite Disney quote. Oh, Walt has so many. And, you know, some of them I heard are fake. Like, they weren't really Walt quotes. Like, they'll put things on a wall that say this, and it says Walt Disney. And I've heard, Walt never said that. But... If you can dream it, you can do it. I think that's probably uh, something that we all need to strive for. And we all don't really believe it, but it's nice to try a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great one. So the last one of the Fast Pass round would be your favorite Disney Parks memory. I know that's a doozy. Favorite Disney Parks memory? Okay, I'm back. At, I'm back at six years old. My family went off to do something, and it's just me and my dad. We're in Tomorrowland, 
and he doesn't remember this for some reason, which I, I don't. I don't actually. I don't expect him to remember it because he doesn't know what how great it was to me. But so to him, it wasn't a memorable thing. It was just a normal thing to me as a six year old. It was really memorable. He looked down at me, and then my father. If you ever see me, I'm about five eight, big guy, three hundred pounds. My dad is about the same weight, but about five inches tall. He's this big Italian guy. And he looks down at me and he goes, all right, we're going to switch. You're going to be the daddy and I'm going to be the little boy. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, we're going to switch now. He goes, you're going to be dad. I'm going to be the, the son. And you're going to tell me where you want to go. And I'm going to just go. You're going to take me by my hand. And you're going to take me. And I, I thought like there was really an exchange of power going on. Like to me, this was an official thing that apparently a parent could do. It was magic. I, I didn't. And I just said, we're going to the haunted mansion and we're in Tomorrowland. I don't know if you know, to a little kid, that that's pretty far from the Haunted Mansion, but I didn't care, and I was going to find it. And he knew, all right, we're going back to the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> and I took him, and I thought that was magic. It was magic that I was able to make the decision, and I felt like we had changed people that – we had changed bodies that day in order to to do that magic. And, you know, Dad was never as playful at home as he was in a Disney park. I love that. Yeah, it's sweet. Thank you. Yeah, I, I've – I love those. I've heard other people tell stories about about how you'll see like parents or a dad like really embrace the role of being a dad in Disney World, and those are so such amazing stories of seeing them open up and act differently than you than you would typically see. Because my dad did the same thing. You know, you know what else is weird? I'm now becoming my father, and I didn't realize it. <laughs> I remember coming out of the restroom at the Garden Grill in Epcot. And I saw my father singing to strange kids. Like, here I am, six years old. I went to the bathroom. I come out, and there's my dad singing to, like, three kids sitting Indian style in front of a – my father's on the bench. The kids are on the floor, and he's going, zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay. And I'm like, why is my dad entertaining other kids? It's, I felt a little jealous, but I thought, okay. But then as I grew up, I realized that's my dad. He's – he likes this fun, happy Disney stuff. And now I'll see some kids, their parents are like, you know, going to do something. I'll be like, you know, hello, princess. What are you doing? And I'll talk to them. And I'll, re- it, it, I'll even think, am I seeming creepy? Cause I just love to be nice to kids and maybe give them a look. I have a vi- an extra vinyl mation that I just got from a media event and I'm giving it away to a kid that I know will be happy. For. And I'm thinking, the parents like, what is going on here with the strange guy giving my kid gift? But I'm really, I'm my dad. I'm ready to sing zippity doo dot to these kids. So it's 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 a DNA thing. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Our very last question that we have for you, John, is if you have one piece of parting guidance that you can give to someone who they're looking to become either a Disney content creator or start creating their own products, but they're on the fence and they're not quite sure of what steps they need to take to get there. What would be your advice to that person? Follow your passion. Find something that you really like. Don't do it because you want to get invited to a media event. Don't do it because you want to make money. If you do it with those in mind, you'll probably fail. You have to do it because it is your passion because there are going to be days where you're going to not want to get up and do it and you're going to feel like it's a work and a job and you have to really enjoy it. There are times where people see the fantasy of what I do. They don't see the waiting for two hours with the flat feet in the heat before, 
you know, somebody comes on stage in front of the castle and how, you know, your half of your face is burned and you're, you're having heat exhaustion. They don't see that. They just see the beautiful video and go, oh, you're so lucky. You get to do it. <laughs> Luck doesn't have a lot to do with it. And I'm sure you know it even from making the podcast and editing it and getting it out on time. It's not all fun. If it's your passion, great. Find a niche. Uh, don't just say, I'm going to make Disney videos. Find a little niche. If your thing is fashion, do Disney fashion. If it's merchandise, do Disney merchandise. If it's food, do Disney food. Try to find something that's a little different, if it's possible, just because it's so saturated and you want to stand out for something. And if you're genuine about what you're doing, I think people will notice and then never stop. Just keep going with it. Yeah, I think that's really great advice, especially, you know, just finding something that you are so passionate about because, I mean, you are going to hit those hard times and kind of like what we talked about earlier, you know, you're going to go through things and compare yourself to others. And as long as you feel confident in what you're doing, I think that will carry you pretty far. Yep. I'll be honest. I used to cover SeaWorld. Uh, I like it. I enjoy it, but I'm not really passionate about it. And I, I, and you could feel it. You can tell when you watch a video, I'm just not as into it as I am if I'm in Disney or even some things for Universal. But Disney, you could see I'm really, that's my thing. And I'm passionate about it. I can't wait for everything Disney comes out with. Yeah, absolutely. I think just to nail that home, I completely agree. I, I think that passion of what you're doing is the only sustainable model out there. It's the only thing that's going to keep you going, like you said, on those tough days. So absolutely. John, I thank you so much for joining us. I think I can say on behalf of us, because you bring us so much Disney joy from being able to watch your videos. And also on the Disney community, I know you've touched so many people, formed so many great relationships and been able to share some of that Disney magic with people who can't as easily access it. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, to our listeners, if you're not already, we highly suggest make sure you go and subscribe to John's YouTube channel. You can find it at bigfatpanda.com. Or just search on YouTube for Big Fat Panda and you'll find it. So, John, is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners before we head off? That would be it. And I thank you guys so much. I had a good time. Hope we do this again someday. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Subscribe to the show and leave a review to help more people find us. Follow us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland underscore podcast to see our pictures from the parks. See you real soon.